What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be reading Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15 for the sermon this morning. And please stand when you found that. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Thank God for his words. Please be seated. Kids, why are you here today? I mean, some of you are probably thinking, well, because my parents made me come. Fair. Uh, But why are your parents making you come? Parents, why do you bring your children to church? Is it so that other Christians won't ask you questions and be like, hey, why don't you bring your kids to church? Is it because of uh, the elders might address you eventually and say, hey, why are you not bringing your children to church? Or maybe is it because uh, you look around at the society that we are living in, how they are targeting children and seeking to destroy them. Maybe it's because you recognize that there's no hope for them anywhere else but with Jesus, and the place to meet him is here. If that's not why you've brought your children, hopefully after we've uh, read these uh, verses and gone through them a bit, that might be part of why. And hopefully it's also because you know Jesus. You know his heart and the love that he has for children, and as a servant of Jesus, as one who loves what he loves, You'll bring your kids because he loves them. As we go through this passage, first of all, we're going to look at uh, the ancient believers bringing their children to Jesus. Then we're going to look at why we should bring our children to Jesus. Then we'll look at why we shouldn't stop bringing children to Jesus. First of all, ancient believers brought their children to Jesus. We've got it written very clearly here in the passage. It says the children were brought to him that he might, and that him is Jesus, by the way, who had just been speaking about divorce. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. This was a tradition in the, this ancient society and in many that people would bring their ch- small children to uh, holy men to have 
their hands laid on them, and to have them prayed over, recognizing that God answers the prayers of the righteous. And so these people were bringing their children to Jesus as a sign of their faith in Jesus, recognizing that he is the one in whom they would have to hope, that his prayers from God were answered, and that if he blessed these children, they would truly be blessed. And this was very correct. It is something that was very good. But then we see the disciples' reaction. The disciples, it says, rebuked the people. And this was also very normal for their society. Children were not seen as much in the ancient world. The odds of a child surviving to adulthood were not what they are now. They were fairly abysmal. And so children were undervalued or possibly, possibly invested in as something that might someday be worthwhile. The uh, Jewish rabbi had taught about uh, talking with children. He equated talking with children uh, along with things like uh, drinking during the day and sleeping in and not going to work and uh, not uh, associating with other believers, but spending all of your time in fellowship with unbelievers. He put those and chattering with children as things that are completely worthless and can destroy a man's life. And the disciples are acting out of that, out of that kind of view of children. And frankly, a lot of people in our society are taking a similar view of children, that children aren't worth investing in. They're not worth pouring our lives into. They're not even worth having. Uh, a short four years ago, about 33%, about a third of people between the ages of 18 to 40 didn't plan to have kids. That number is almost up to 50% now, only four years later. They have no intention to ruin their own fun by having children and bringing that responsibility on themselves. Children are just not worth it. And we can kind of understand why the world might think that way. But we as believers can't think that way. That has never been God's way of operating. When you look at the covenants, all the way back to Adam, God worked through children. The promise wasn't that Adam would eventually save his kids and his family and that there would be life through Adam, but through their children. Then Noah, explicitly the covenant wasn't with him, wasn't just for him, but was for him and his children. And the same for Abraham and David. The covenant was always for believers and their children. Children were esteemed by God. And the disciples should have understood this. But we all forget things, right? We are told things and we don't fully think about the uh, implications of them. But if we turn back just one short chapter, the disciples really should have remembered this. Now, they were arguing with each other over who is the greatest. Matthew just says they were asking Jesus in the beginning of chapter 18, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which, which one of us is it going to be? But the parallel passages tell us they were actually arguing. This wasn't just like an academic question. Hey, we're curious. Uh, but we all think it's going to be us. Tell us which one it is so we can say that we're right. And Jesus didn't say which one of them it was. His answer was actually no. And he pulled up a child and said, you must become like one of these children to enter the kingdom of God. There's not even a question of who's the greatest. There are no tears of believers. It is, are you a believer? If so, it's not because you have argued yourself up and made yourself great and big and strong. It's because you've become like a small child and have trusted 
put your faith in Christ as a child, just in him. And so Jesus uh, responds to the disciples. He is going to break society's tradition here with his love. In verse 14, it says, Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In the parallel passages, it says Jesus was indignant. He was angry with his disciples for their response to little children being brought to him. And it is right that he should be angry. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is talking about divorce, which is what Jesus had just been talking about. Paul talking about divorce says that if you are a believer married to an unbeliever, you should stay. Because having one believing parent makes the children holy. Not okay, not decent, not someday they'll become holy, but they are holy now. They are set apart for him now. And here he says, these are the ones to whom the kingdom belongs. These are his joint heirs, his precious children, his little siblings. How dare you try to keep them away from him? And so Jesus heartily rebukes his disciples. Now, seeing these things, seeing Jesus' love and the importance he puts on children, we should see that we should also be bringing our children to Jesus. One of our basic interpretive uh, principles is that when something is forbidden, the opposite is commanded. And when something is commanded, the opposite is forbidden. An extreme case of this we can see in Nadab and Abihu. God said, look, I made fire. You use this fire to do all of the offerings to me. Nadab and Abihu, and God never said, God never said, don't make any other fire. He just said, use this fire. Nadab and Abihu made their own fire and brought that before the Lord, and they were consumed. And that just confirms the principle that when something is commanded, the opposite is forbidden. When something is forbidden, the opposite is commanded. Uh, similarly, uh, we're told, do not kill. That also commands us to preserve life. Uh, that is part of why we fight so hard against abortion and against other ways that people seek to kill other people. It's not because we are worried about somebody else becoming guilty, though we are. We don't want guilt to be piled on anyone. But it's also because we have a God-given responsibility to preserve life. Similarly, with Jesus' commands here, we are not just commanded not to hinder the children from coming, but to be bringing them. And this command isn't just for uh, the elders and the pastors. He gave that command to the disciples. Note that at this time they were the disciples, not the apostles. They would become the apostles. They would have absolute authority over the church uh, in Jesus' name. But here they're just disciples. They are just believers who do truly follow Jesus and should be representing him and calling people to him, but they are not uh, yet those given authority over the church. Similarly, in our membership vows as uh, PCA, a PCA church, we have uh, just five. Okay? Basically, most of them are uh, believe that you're a sinner, recognize that only through Jesus is there any hope for your salvation, and that you do trust in him, and then it's just 
participate in the ministry of the church. Do what the church is going to be doing. And so whether we are uh, parents or other adults, when a child is baptized here, we are all called to swear that we will help bring them to Jesus. That is a reflection of Jesus' love for them. And even apart from that oath, if we love Jesus, we should be seeking to help parents bring their children to Jesus. Now, as we think about bringing children to Jesus, we need to answer two basic questions. First of all, where is Jesus now? And then secondly, how can we get the children there? Right? Now, we know Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, all right? And we are not going to get our children to Jesus by sacrificing them on altars somewhere that is absolutely forbidden and awful. But Jesus is also present in the means of grace. He is present with his people uh, as they read God's word, and especially as the word is preached by ordained ministers. Uh, I had actually heard the opposite invoked uh, at a church hundreds of miles from here that no one here has ever been to. But they had a children's program, and they didn't like the children to be disruptive in the worship service, so they had a separate place where the entire time they could go and color. And the pastor said, now send your kids out, don't keep them here, because Jesus said, don't hinder the children, don't hold them back. And that's terrifying. Who is the one who is called to preach the words of Jesus to the people? The person behind the pulpit. And so to send the children out of that presence is absolutely horrifying and a travesty. That is one place that Jesus is. Jesus also meets with his people when they pray. So we should be praying for our kids and praying with our children, letting them see us pray for all of our concerns, but also for them. Let them see uh, that we value time of prayer. Jesus is also present in the sacraments. Now, God has always worked through the families of believers, the promises being for believers and their children. Uh, circumcision originally given as the sign of the covenant changed to baptism now in Christ, and that is part of why we baptize children. It is in order for them to be recognized as holy, to give them uh, that recognition as covenant members, and to lean on the promises that Jesus has for his people that he has called holy. Now, the Lord's Supper, we do hold back from them because there is a command for self-examination that two-year-olds and three-year-olds can't do. And even, young, even children older than that, it takes a degree of maturity to be able to discern the body of Christ, to be able to uh, examine one's own life in order to avoid the judgments that come for taking that sacrament unworthily. But it is still good for the kids to see that sacrament presented and offered again and again, to come to know all about it through repeated exposure and seeing it done, that hopefully they would have a desire that they would get to meet with Jesus that way as well. Jesus is also present in fellowship with other believers. Uh, many of us can say that God has provided for us, that Jesus has done good for us, but not one of us can say, Jesus showed up at my house yesterday personally, bodily, it was him, and did something for me. He acts through other believers. They are his body doing his works for him. And so being in fellowship with other believers is a way that we can also come into the presence of of Jesus. 
Now, how can we get, well, where do we find these things? First of all, corporate worship. We pray, we read the word, we hear the word preached, and if we don't bolt out the back door at the end, we get some time to talk to other believers, to encourage them, to grow into their lives, to find out where they are needing help and find opportunities to be encouraged ourselves. In family devotions, we can see these things also. Uh, no sacraments there because we don't have ordained ministers or a congregation in our family worship, but we have prayer, we have the reading of the word and hopefully a little bit of explanation and fellowship with the most basic body of believers, which is our own family. Also, personal devotions are to be encouraged and other church gatherings where the members come together uh, even just to have fun because Christianity isn't just a hidebound set of rules we do this because we have to do this, otherwise we don't get to heaven. It is a joyful opportunity to be with God and to be with his people, to have fellowship that people in the world can't imagine because of God's love for us. But how do we get the children to these things? It's not magic. Uh, first of all, we can get them to these things by treating them as important ourselves. Everyone hates a hypocrite. Someone who says, don't do that thing that I'm always doing. No one likes that. And kids catch on to hypocrites quicker than most. If we're saying, kids, you need to be doing all of these things because it's good for you, but we don't do them ourselves, we're giving a false testimony, and they will see it, and they will not value our words on account of our actions. And that's kind of parallel to all learning. We don't tell kids, hey, uh, speak Spanish while I'm speaking English. We show them speaking English. They imitate the speaking English, and then they can speak English. Similarly, following Jesus, we have to show them. We have to live it ourselves. Secondly, we can get them to participate in these things by rewarding obedience. Now, some people might think, you know, we don't want to have them doing something for the rewards. We don't want to say, do this good thing because there are prizes. But God does that with us. He didn't call Israel out to a land of barren desert. He called them to go out to freedom and to a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and he doesn't call us, he doesn't say, taste and see that I'm kind of awful, but at least I'm not going to send you to hell. He says, taste and see that I, the Lord is good. He offers good things, and so we can also justifiably use good things to show kids the goodness of the Lord, not so that they would be coming for whatever reward we set before them, but so that they can see the reward that goodness is like the goodness that they receive in doing those good things. It is a lesser but more physical picture of the goodness of God. We can also get them places by warning and punishing disobedience. In our society, it's very unpopular to force children to be indoctrinated. Um, and this has grown to a ridiculous proportion now as they're now starting to not even try to indoctrinate them into mathematics, but it recognized that there, there are no real wrong answers. Um, when I drive across a bridge, I want to know that the engineer thought there were wrong answers. All right? Uh, there are wrong answers, and there are consequences for getting answers wrong. And while we wouldn't want our children indoctrinated or raised into falsehood, we absolutely want them indoctrinated into Christianity. Not that they would believe it because we say to believe it because we're in charge, but that they would believe it for themselves, that they would know it, and they might go an entire life 
not having a single day that they did not know the Lord. How beautiful is that idea, is that hope? We can also encourage children in this by recounting the stories of God's faithfulness to us. When we're coming into a hard time and we're tempted to despair or to worry, and we console ourselves remembering how God has brought us through before, rather than just thinking about those things, let them come out of our mouths. Let the kids hear the stories of how God has worked, not just in the ancient times, but in our lives. The Israelites did this by every so often when God did something great, raising up a memorial and putting it up so that everyone could say, this is what God did. He did this. Praise God. And that is something we would be wise to do with our children. So ultimately, how do we get our children to the means of grace? By any means necessary. It is the best and the most important thing for their entire life. So do it. Now, lastly, we shouldn't stop bringing the children to Jesus. Uh, Verse 7 of Matthew chapter 18 says that temptation is coming, but woe to the person who brings the temptation. And our world is filled with plenty of temptations for children. There are plenty of people who have their eyes set on destroying children, uh, from destroying rational thought in education to indoctrinating them into falsehood, Uh, There are even now government websites promoting things to get children into uh, sexual deviancy with ease of hiding it on their phones. It's built to hide from their parents. The temptation is already there. There is already plenty of force arrayed against us. We cannot stop in pushing our children toward Jesus instead of toward all of the secular ruin that awaits them. So these joint heirs with us, joint heirs with Christ, are to be preserved and to be protected. And Jesus, it says in verse 15, he laid his hands on them and he went away. Jesus didn't abandon the parents, but he also wasn't taking away the job from the parents. He left the children with the parents to be continued in that faith that they have in Jesus. And that is our hope as we seek to do these things. I don't bring these ideas as someone who has attained and managed to do all of these things with children. I bring them as someone who has seen uh, some of the damage that is done to our children and as someone who has seen the goodness of Jesus and his words for his people. And we all need to be casting ourselves on his mercy and grace. And as we think about these uh, condemnations for the people who tempt their children, Don't just think this is a reason for us to take this seriously. This is a reason for us to have hope as we seek to bring children to Jesus. Jesus has set himself in absolute opposition to those who would destroy our children. So as we pray to him and beg him to work in the lives of our children and to raise them up strong, and as we seek to be obedient to his calls to do so, be hopeful because he is absolutely on our side. He rules over all things for his church and especially for his little ones. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.